Good evening, racing fans, and welcome back to another episode, episode number five of the Push to Pass podcast. Uh, as always, I am Derek Vance, and what a loaded show that we have in store uh, for you. Uh, first, we have an interview with the IndyCar anchor, uh, IndyCar radio anchor, uh, that is uh, Mark Janes, who uh, I will play uh, here momentarily. And then uh, joining us uh, as well during this hour, uh, we're going to have Indy Lights uh, driver of the um, uh, Andretti Autosports, uh, Stingray Rob is going to uh, to join us. And then at the uh, end of the show, as always, uh, Mike from Vet IndyCar is going to uh, join us as well uh, to discuss his uh, his winnings from Road America and then uh, what to uh, look forward to in the world of betting uh, this weekend at, uh, at um, Mid-Ohio for the Honda Indy uh, 200. But uh, before we get into uh, anything, like I said, glad to, uh, glad to be back, glad to have IndyCar back on the track. Uh, this weekend it seems like it's been forever uh, since uh, since road america so uh, we will preview uh, the honda indy 200 at uh, at mid ohio uh, here uh, shortly uh, i'll i'll uh, preview a little bit and then obviously when uh, when stingray rob comes on and then with uh, mike from uh, bet uh, bet indy car as well but uh, first and foremost like i said uh, definitely had the uh, the pleasure and honor uh, last night to uh, to be able to uh, interview uh, IndyCar anchor uh, Mark Janes. So let's uh, let's get to that uh, right now, and uh, I'll be back in a little bit. All right, welcome back to the uh, Push to Pass podcast, and our guest now is uh, I have the the total pleasure in uh, in uh, introducing uh, this gentleman uh, first and foremost he is a man of of many hats um if you listen to indycar on the radio as i do uh, from time to time when i can't make it out to one track or the other i'm sure you will recognize uh, this voice um besides being a uh, the anchor on indycar radio uh, does a lot of things uh Used to be uh, mixed in high school sports. Now I believe, if memory serves me correctly, the um, uh, communications instructor out at uh, Monrovia High School. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, without any further ado, uh, Mark Janes is our guest. Mark, again, first and foremost, like I said, a uh, huge thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedule. I know you got uh, an event tomorrow that I know you're looking forward to and obviously you got to go to uh, mid Ohio uh, this weekend and I'm sure we'll we'll get into that here as this unfolds but uh, for people that may not recognize you which shame on them if they don't uh, <laughs> give, give us a little bit a little bit about yourself well I, I I'll say first and foremost I was blessed with a perfect face for radio that's what I, oh, that's what I've always said uh, but uh, you know, I'm from a small town, Monrovia, Indiana, race fans will recognize that as the longtime home of the legendary uh, Gary Bettenhausen and uh, Todd and Kerry, his twin sons, uh, went to high school with me. We graduated in 82 together along with Penske Racing General Manager Kyle Moyer. We were all in the same class and uh, uh, got bitten by the broadcasting bug very early on by a uh, courtesy of my elementary school principal who told me I was a lousy softball player, so I might want to give 
about professional sports is a dream and chase journalism or broadcasting. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I worked small market radio for a few years and uh, was fortunate enough to work at WTHI in Terre Haute when it was owned by the home of George family. And, and uh, that led to me joining the radio network in 1996. And uh, I was a pit reporter for a few years. In 2000, I moved to turn three, was there for 15 years and uh, uh, then moved uh, seven years ago to the anchor's position for the 100th. Um, and uh, I, I said after my very first year, Derek, when I came home after a pit, being a pit reporter in 96, that if I never got to do it again, I got to do it one more time than a lot of guys wanted to get to. And so uh, I've been playing with house money, as they say, since 1996. And as you mentioned, um, it's not a full-time job. Um, I, I teach uh, communications at Monrovia High School, which again is my alma mater, uh, and uh, also do some work for the IHSAA Champions Network broadcasting from, from state finals, uh, some state finals uh, contests. Matter of fact, did the baseball state finals a couple of weeks ago at Victory Field. And, and other than that, I just, um, I enjoy condo life in Plainfield, Indiana, spend as much time at our pool as I can. And uh, I've been married for 36 years to a girl I met on a blind date at Indiana State. And we have two children and uh, and four grandchildren. So life's pretty good, brother. Wow. It, yeah, it does seem like uh, life is uh, life is good, uh, man. I, I don't know where you find the time for for anything <laughs> else. And I have to say, I'm, I'm a little bit envious uh, having a, a pool, especially with the Indiana weather um, that uh, that we've had the last couple of weeks. Well, the best part about being in a condo is the fact that I don't have to take care of it. I get to watch somebody else cut the grass in the wintertime. Somebody else shovels the snow here. And so, uh, you know, I got a head start on what it's going to be like when I retire someday. So. Yeah, it, you definitely uh, got a uh, got a leg up there if you got uh, you know living in a condo where people take care of the of the yard and, and the pool and all you got to do is go and uh, and enjoy it. Yeah, pretty good gig. Yeah, absolutely. You did touch a little bit on you know uh, the being an anchor uh, indie car radio. I can't imagine that that has to be a, a absolute uh, dream job. I, I would imagine for people that you know don't know things behind the scenes. Uh, how all of the the broadcasting uh, you know intricacies uh, work, and I have to uh, agree with what you said. I tell people a lot too that I definitely have a face for radio, so I know where you're coming from there. <laughs> well, uh, you know it's uh, it's organized chaos, quite frankly, especially for the Indy 500. Now, for the other events we do, I will admit that uh, you know there's uh, there's there's some tense moments because you know you're not only anchoring the show but you're essentially producing and directing the show and that you're deciding where we go and when be it a turn announcer or a pit reporter or a commercial break and with that end of it i do get some assistance from chris pollock our network director and and sam rums i mean they keep me honest in terms of getting the commercial break but uh Boy, for the Indianapolis 500, you know, one of my predecessors and someone I've worked closely with for a number of years, Mike King, told me that, uh, you know, when when you anchor the Indianapolis 500 and when you're done, uh, your hands will, will literally be shaking because your mind is moving so fast for so long. Uh, it's just impossible for you to be able to hit the switch and shut it off quickly. And, and, and I'll admit, you know, each and every year, I seem to recover, if you will, uh, a, a little quicker. Uh, this year, I think I bounced back quicker than 
I ever have following the race broadcast, and I think it's because the broadcast, quite frankly, went very, very well. It was a very smooth show from start to finish. But, you know, I, I've, I've got, you know, four pit, pit reporters uh, for the 500. I have, uh, you know, the four turn announcers. I have Davey Hamilton. We have guests coming into the booth like, you know, the governor and the folks from Chevrolet and some other guests, and we've got to get to Borg Warner and Victory Lane. And uh, fortunately for me, I'm able to focus a bit more once the green flag flies on just the racing element of it, because Brian Livingston, who's been with the network for a number of years, is our pit producer, and Brian is the one that is in communication with the pit reporters, and he's got a chart on the window next to him, and, and essentially, when pit stops are underway, he's communicating with the pit reporters, and he kind of leads me into who I'm going to and when. And and that takes a little pressure off me and gives me one less thing that I that I have to think about. But, you know, over the past couple of years, we've we've added some new members like Joel Sebastianelli and, and Alex Wolf and Scott Sander and Rob Blackman. But I think the core group, you know, Chris Denary and I both have, have been on the network over 20 years now. I mean, Jake Query is coming up on 15 years. Nick Gilman over 10 years. Michael Young over 10 years. Ryan Marine's been with us four or five years now. And so when you can develop that kind of trust and continuity, and you're talking about guys who are all pretty much Midwest or Central Indiana guys who grew up as fans of this event and fans of this form of racing, I think you you combine their incredible talent talents and their professionalism with their knowledge and enthusiasm and passion for everything that we do. And I think I'm lucky to be surrounded by some pretty talented people and we all think alike. Uh, it, it's it's a show for the fans and um, we, we know that uh, they would tune in no matter, you know, who was a part of that broadcast. And so, you know, uh, it's it's a team effort for sure. And and as you well know, it's an ego-driven business, but by the same token, the guys that we have uh, put the product first. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're so successful. Yeah, it definitely seems like you have a, a great uh, a great group of, uh, of guys or, or, or crew around you, you know, listening to uh, the broadcast, like I said, uh, a week in and week out when I can't be at the track. It seems like to me anyway, and again, uh, this is just somebody from, you know, miles away that uh, everything run, runs so smoothly. But as you said, you, as you pointed out, that uh, it's uh, it's all controlled chaos. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and again, I got to give a lot of credit to Sam Rubs. I mean, Sam, Sam took over the producer's role from Chris Pollock. Chris and I had worked together. Uh, for, you know, almost 22 years, 23 years. Um, Chris was our master control operator and executive producer, and he is now our network director. And so I'll admit there was, uh, you know, a, a, a little bit of um, a concern on my part, uh, you know, when, when we had to make the change. I mean, I understood why Chris wanted to get out from behind the board and be the network director, and, and, and we're happy to have Chris in that position. Um, but there was a level of trust that I had with Chris, and Chris knew what I was thinking, when I was thinking it, and how. And, and I will say in a relatively short amount of time, uh, we struck gold with Sam Brunson because uh, he he is, is like-minded with me, just like Chris. I mean, I, I can give him, you know, the bare basics, and uh, he takes it and runs with it because he's, he's done it 
with me long enough now that where he, he knows when we're producing something what i'd like for the the finished product to look like and and he knows that he can offer me suggestions and tell me when to take a break and and if i'm getting ready to call for a break he might tell me well let's let's not do that just yet because we have pit stops coming back and so you know there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes you know occasionally we bring fans into the booth and we have guests into the booth to let them peek behind the curtain and the land of Oz, if you will, and uh, uh, they're always uh, pretty much taken aback at the fact that uh, there's uh, so much going on behind the scenes that people aren't aware of uh, that is, uh, as I suggested earlier, is kind of organized chaos, and they all seem pretty impressed with what it sounds like on the other end that goes to the listener. And, and Mark, you're absolutely right. This was the first year I was able, as media, to uh, to cover the month of May and when I walked up and seen, you know, what you guys uh, have, all of your charts and everything, I was like, wow, as much as they make it sound so easy on the radio and they have all this prep to do and, they, you know, they got to make sure you're hitting all your marks. And like you said, with, with Sam, it seems like it's such a smooth and easy transition. And, and it's got to be nice, like you said, to have somebody that is thinking along uh, the lines as, as you and, and Davey and everyone else are. Well, and, and it moves so fast now, Derek, is the thing. I mean, once upon a time, you know, if, if, if you, you have downloaded the Spotify app uh, or, or and you listen to some of our old race broadcasts, once upon a time when Sid Collins was the anchor, uh, on a lap, it would go from, from Sid to turn one back to Sid, turn two back to Sid, halfway down the backstretch back to Sid, to three back to Sid and then four back to Sid. And to give you an idea how much things have changed and how much faster things are paced, we only use two turn announcers for qualifying because otherwise I wouldn't have enough time to get the time and speed report in. We don't put four turns out. And when we were on the ninth floor of the Pagoda, we for a couple of years eliminated turn one uh, just to give us more time and give me more time on the front stretch. Now, a few years ago, we moved to, a, I think, a fabulous location for us logistically on the, the, the backside of the fourth floor of the media center, uh, turn four end, I should say. And, and I had to bring turn one back because I can only see down the straightaway as far as the scoring pylon. However, that puts a lot of pressure on Chris Denary because coming out of four, he's got to drop them to me about the opening of the pit road in order for me to be able to say anything at all to get him to Nick Yeoman and one. But again, when you're working with the type of professionals that I work with and you're working with guys that you're familiar with and comfortable with, you're able to make that happen and everybody understands what their role is. And, and, and that's what, that that's what ties it all together. Well, let, let me say, like I said, just as an outsider, Mark, when you and, and the rest of the crew are on on the radio, if it's a serious XM, because that's what I listen to you guys on, um, it, it sounds so smooth. And I, and I would have never I would never imagine um, that, you you know, you have so much timing and everybody's got to be hitting their marks uh, with, with the way you guys sound. So let me compliment you all. Um, on that, and, and I'm sure we'll we'll meet up here at the end of July. Um, but let's get into the the 2022 season. Okay. Uh, it's been what an interesting, I think, roller coaster uh, so far that that we have been on. Uh, I think Penske 
and I think you know came out of the shoots all all guns firing uh, the first uh, three races, and, and then they, you get to the month of May where you know Penske's home track, obviously Roger owns the place, and they struggle, mm-hmm. they struggle. Right. But then you know New Garden puts the the run together uh, a couple weekends ago at, at Road America. Seems like he's he's uh, you know written or uh, written the uh, the Penske back uh, a little bit. But uh, from your perspective, um, and I know you've been to every race, obviously. What do you see so far in the first half of the 2022 season? Uh, well, you know, I, I, on the one hand, as you suggest, um, there there is, you know, the suggestion that there is parity, but by the same token, it's pretty much gone from, I guess, the big three or the big four down to kind of the big two, uh, I, I think, for this season in, in, in Penske and, and, and Ganassi. And, um, you know, I, I do think from uh, a, a standpoint in terms of wins, um, it appears as though, and I think the next month will really tell us if the uh, if this scenario will continue. But you know, I, I I think if you get two wins and you combine that with all top fours, top fives, and as many podiums as you can gather, as long as you don't suffer a DNF, that might be enough to win you a championship. I don't know because of that parody, and some of it exists within the race teams themselves at Penske and Ganassi. I don't know that you're going to see anybody reel off three or four wins or five wins like Scott Dixon did a couple of years ago en route to a championship. I, I think it's going to be consistency in those podium finishes. I, I think what we quoted a stat earlier this year was 1977. I think Tom Stevo won the series championship that year without having won a race. Um, obviously, I don't think that's going to be possible this year. Um, uh, but 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 I don't think you're going to have to win a lot of them. You're just going to have to be consistent. And I guess I guess that's you know it makes for a, a, a very compelling championship run. Um, and I think outside of the top four or five in points, and, you know, you've been at this a while too, I, I think we've reached a point to where, you know, if you're outside of the top four or top five in points going into mid-Ohio, you're, you're starting to put yourself in a position where not only do you have to have a first or a second and you need to lead the most laps and gain that bonus point, you need the bonus point that goes along with the pole, but you're relying on some pretty consistent drivers in front of you to falter and have off weekends. And you're going to need to have them do it more than one weekend. And boy, when you look at some of those names, those, those aren't the kind of guys that history has shown to be the type that, that, that fold when the pressure's on. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and you talk about, you know, Joseph Newgarden, for example, who I think has got to be, you know, one of the hottest drivers, obviously, uh, going into the second half of the year, it sure seems like to me that the remaining tracks just, uh, you know, it works out for him. Had someone asked me the other day, what's wrong with Scott Dixon? And, um, uh, and I think obviously the concern was amplified by the error that he made speeding coming on to pit road at the Indianapolis 500. There's no guarantee he would have won that race, but I think he would have been in the mix certainly 
Um, but, but, you know, I think if you look at the season he's had by large, uh, for almost any other driver, it would be considered a successful season. And that's the kind of consistency and the kind of success that Scott Dixon has had. I will say this, Derek. Uh, if he doesn't fare well this weekend, there might be cause for concern because he's won so often at Mid-Ohio that he gets mail in victory lane, for God's sakes. I mean, you know, six wins and all those polls and all those laps led. And so uh, I, I think if, if if there is going to be a race weekend where Scott Nixon gets himself back into contention, it will be this weekend. But uh you know, there's more than a handful of guys among the top five or six in points that have had their fair share of success at Mid-Ohio. But I, I think this is a very important race for Scott Dixon's championship chances, for sure. Yeah, I, I've heard a lot of rumblings uh, this year about, you know, what is what's wrong with Scott Dixon. And I know, you know, there's a lot of chatter coming from the paddock that I, that I think maybe it may die down a little bit. Uh, you know, rumor was, and I don't know how much you invest in rumors that maybe Scott Dixon was going to be that third Errol McLaren car. Um, I think that may have been squelched with um, the commitment made by Zach Brown to uh, extend Felix Rosenquist to 2023 and beyond. So I think that may get squelched a little bit, but, but there is a, a driver that, uh, you know, you said being out of the top six, it may be awful tough to make that championship points push. But if there is a driver, in my opinion, that could do that the way he is driving right now and just needs a little bit of luck, it's got to be Alexander Rossi. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that uh, – and, and we will say that of late, Chip has said in, in a couple of different published reports that uh, – he intends that, you know, for all intents and purposes, all of his drivers are under contract for next year. And that's, you know, uh, Alex Pillow and, and 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 certainly Scott Dixon and 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 Marcus Erickson and and Jimmy Johnson. And it's 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 hoped that TK will get another another shot at the five hundred. So that kind of put, you know, those those rumors about some of the Ganassi drivers uh, to rest as far as Chip was concerned. And um, Chip even took a thinly veiled shot by saying, you know, it's been my experience that um, you you have the most success by hiring drivers and keeping drivers with you instead of trying to create success by taking drivers away from other teams. So that's, you know, that's, that's, that's Chip being Chip, but I, I think he brings up a, a very valid point, but, but no, I, I, I mean, I think, I think that the, the driver that you alluded to um, much like Pato award, you know, there was a lot of quote unquote noise about Pato when the announcement was made about Herta and, and, and what his opportunities might be in F1 and, and Pato not caring for the way that he found out about it. And he responded to that uh, by, by really turning it on and um, I, I think since Alexander Rossi has uh, has locked down his future, clearly he and, and, and Brian Barnhart are, are on the same page now. His race strategist, the longtime motorsports veteran, and Brian Barnhart. And, uh, yeah, I think Alexander Rossi is a guy that is capable of, of racking up those podium finishes and picking up a win or two here. And, and I think Alexander Rossi, you know, uh, because of all that he owes Andretti Autosport uh, for reviving his, his career um, and refocusing his career, I think he wants to finish very strongly with them. And I also thinks that I also thinks that he want he think that he wants 
wants to put on full display uh, just exactly what the, the people at, at, at Arrows McLaren are getting in, in Alexander Rossi for 2023. Yeah, uh, Mark, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And, and the, the last few races, uh, even the 500, I think, um, prove your point the way the, the finishes that Rossi has had. You know, if it wasn't for Will Power, uh, you know, the, the driving that Will Power did at Detroit, uh, Rossi wins that race hands down, but the driving skills that Power had was just uh, was o- too overwhelming. Is there somebody else that we're not uh, looking at here going into the second half of 2022 that we may need to keep our eye on? No, I, I mean, the one guy, I don't, I don't want to label it the Rodney Dangerfield, especially over the fact that he's the most recent Indy 500 champion. But, you know, I, if people just don't don't seem to want to take Marcus Erickson as seriously as they should. And I don't know what else this kid needs to do. I mean, going back to his, his wins last year and, um, you know, maybe one of them shrouded in a little bit of controversy, uh, you know, at Nashville last year. But I, I think all in all, I mean, this, this kid has the makings of being a Scott Dixon type driver. I mean, he's one of those guys that, uh, you know, I, and I, I think if you go back and listen to our race broadcast, uh, at about the halfway point or something, you know, we we had the same three guys jockeying for position. And, I, you know, I noticed for about 15, 20 laps, there's Marcus Erickson in fourth. And I think in throwing it to Nick Yeoman at one point, I said, you know, front three headed to turn one. But Nick Yeoman, the guy in fourth may have the best poker face to the table. And that's Marcus Erickson. And, you know, you got to the last segment of the race the guy hit the button and if you remember Derek on that final restart um, when Erickson went into turn one and Pottawell Ward went high in an attempt to pass him almost everyone else had pulled that pass off and uh, he was not able to do that and that kind of that kind of told you just how strong Erickson was and um, you know in, in practice sessions every weekend he's consistently there and then you get to the final step of the race and he's consistently there. And, and I would say even the defending series champion maybe falls into that category a bit. I mean, Alex below has had his share of success this year as well. And, uh, you know, those are two guys that people just don't seem to talk, talk about because uh, a lot of the attention seems to, you know, get focused on Scott Dixon and Joseph Newgarden and, and even Pottawa Ward and Alexander Rossi and so some of those guys, but, um, you know, I, I, I think that's the beauty of this series, um, especially this year. I mean, you can go literally, you know, in that 26 car field, you can legitimately go back 19, 20, 21 positions and, 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 and find yourself a, a driver in a car that's, that that's capable in, in, in the right situation with the right pit strategy, um, uh, you know, finding themselves in contention with the top five and, and getting in victory lane. I mean, look look at what Dale Coyne has done this year with David Malukas and Takuma Sato and, and Kyle Kirkwood, what he's done with uh, with A.J. Foyt racing. I mean, he's, he's, he's put them back in contention on a regular basis. And it appears as though now that, that finally, you know, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing are starting to get their legs underneath them. And if there's ever going to be a race where they put it all together, I'm sure Graham and everyone at that organization would love it, love for it to be at Mid-Ohio this weekend. So, you know, 
Um, when, when, when you mention a driver in this series, it's not hard. If I were to sit here and mention a driver, Derek, you could in the very next breath mention another driver that you feel like is a contender at all. And that's, that's the beauty of this series, I think. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think we would have looked at people crazy, Mark, this year if they would have told us that uh, Marcus Erickson and Alex Pillow would be the two current leaders of Chip Ganassi and not, and not Scott Dixon yep. you know, based on his previous success. Yeah, and, and, and as you suggest, I mean, that, you know, you one would say that, and that's even, you know, Pillow, uh, you know, coming off a championship season to finish second in the Indianapolis 500 to Elio. Uh, you know, I, I, I categorize below like this. I mean, when when, when Dale Coyne signed him, um, you know, I, I think everyone said who. And then when 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 he announced that he was moving to Ganassi in the 10 car, I, I think everyone said, what? And, uh, and, and then after, you know, he wanted Barber, I think everyone said, wow. And, you know, if you go back to like Gateway, he was taken out at Gateway, and um, you know that that last year at Worldwide Technology Raceway, and and that's kind of when everyone thought, okay, here he comes. He's coming back down to earth now. The pressure's going to get to him, and and it sure did. And he grabbed the championship. And I think in many ways, as people continue to follow him and get to know him, uh, there's there's a there's a, a, a grizzled veteran out there now that that he reminds me a little bit of. And, the way he carries himself, maybe not quite as gregarious as 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 the four time champion, but there are many things about Alex Pillow that that remind me a bit of of Elio Castroneves, and you know he's a long way from being in his category in terms of of being an accomplished racer, but I I think that he has that same personality. He I think he can develop that same broad based appeal, and and I also happen to think he's one of hell of a race car driver and i'm thrilled to death that he found his way to the ntt indycar series and, and that's not that's it's not uh, one shabby uh, comparison uh e either uh before we look ahead to uh, mid ohio this weekend uh is there a rookie in this class which is loaded in, in my opinion that has uh stood out to you so far the first half of the year no, i think they've all pretty impressive. I mean, I mentioned David Malukas and all that he has done. I mean, many felt that he should have been Rookie of the Year, and I would have liked to have seen this been one of those years where there was co-Rookie of the Year's not taking anything away from all that, that Jimmy Johnson brought um, uh, to the month of May. Um, uh, I'll let others argue that. That's just my opinion, not fact. That's just my opinion. It would have been nice to see, but I certainly All right, we will pick up the uh, the rest of that uh, interview. There's about ten or uh, so minutes left, um, but I want to bring on our our first guest, our second guest rather, and um, what a uh, huge uh, honor uh, it is to uh, to be speaking uh, with this gentleman. Uh, you want to talk about uh, success uh, as of late? Uh, success um, is is underestimated, I think, sometimes. But uh, Stingray Rob is joining us from uh, Andretti Autosport. Uh, Sting, first and foremost, let me say it's a huge honor 
a huge thank you for carving a little bit of time out of your busy schedule. Uh, I know you got uh, Mid-Ohio this weekend, which I know you're probably laser-focused uh, for. But a huge thank you for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Uh, for people that are unfamiliar with you, which is a shame if they are, uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, thank you first off for having me on your show. It's uh, exciting. But uh, yeah, my name is Stingray Rob. I was born and raised in a little town in Idaho and uh, go-karting when I was younger and I uh, worked my way through the karting ranks and then into the road to Indy and ended up winning the 2020 Indy Pro 2000 Championship. So that's the down and dirty version of my career so far. And then this year running with Andretti Autosport, I've had quite a few podiums so far. Um, still waiting to check off that first win, but coming off a second place at Road America after qualifying on pole there. Um, and just feel like the momentum's building for us. I know that the team's doing well. I got some strong teammates that I'm running with and it just makes me a, a better driver at the end of the day. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You are uh, knocking on the doorstep there uh, of uh, of P1, and I do believe uh, before this season is over, you are definitely going to uh, knock that knock that door in. Uh, but you touched on your successes uh, so far in, in 2022. Uh, you know, you, you want to explain a little bit more uh, detail the kind of season you've had uh, so far. Yeah, I mean, coming into this season, you know, 2021 was kind of my rookie season in the lights, and we had big expectations for what we were going to be able to do. Um, I was returning to the series with Funkos Racing after winning the 2020 Indy Pro 2000 Championship with them. Um, and then last year, I mean, it was it was everything that we didn't expect to go. You know, it, it just wasn't the results we were looking for. But at the end of the year, um, coming back to Mid-Ohio, actually, because we had two weekends at the, at the track here, um, you know, kind of knocked on the door finally. We're P2 in practice and had some good laps down and qualifying and then the rain came. So um, it was just kind of like one of those things where you see the progression in the series and then stepping into the Andretti car earlier this year, we really saw uh, just how quickly I get to grips with the car. And um, I mean, Andretti is where they is where they are for a reason. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that they win championships consistently and develop drivers into Indy car champions um, on a consistent basis because of, who they have in their program. Uh, and I mean, by the the guys that are staying there, developing us and uh, trying to get us to that top level. But, uh, you know, started off the year uh, pretty well. I, I think our first race was Barber. Is that right? It's been so long now, but uh, started out with a podium there. Um, or actually St. Pete. St. Pete was our first race of the year. Qualified uh, pretty well, finished fourth, then went to Barber, got the podium. Um, and then, you know, a couple podiums after that, uh, Indianapolis, two thirds, and then into Road America and Road America, I mean, it qualified on pole and that was really, really good. Um, after just coming off the Detroit weekend of having a potential uh, win there, maybe going away in the first race and then coming back and fin finishing third in the podium as well. So um, definitely feel like we're getting better and better every weekend. And I mean, I've been one of the few drivers that is just knocking on that podium every, every weekend. And it feels like we're that much closer to a win. And I don't know why it hasn't come yet, but it just seems like uh we're we're there we're chomping at the bit we're getting better in every every race every weekend and you know i think it's coming here pretty soon and mid ohio seems to be a breakout track for me in the past it's where i got my first win in 2020 so hopefully we can get that box in 2022 yeah like i said you're you're, you're close you are you're you know you're you're, you're getting podiums uh, like you said uh you will knock down uh, that door and and np1 uh, here sooner rather than, than later. And, and you talked about having great teammates and, and not only yourself as of late, uh, but your teammates as well, as well. 
uh, have been having some great runs and great finishes as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Christian is no doubt a championship level driver. Matt as well. He's won championships in the past and it's good to see him returning to the series as a strong competitor winning the first race of the year. You know, that's not something that we were really looking at, but, and then Hunter's just always wicked fast. And so between those three guys and myself, it seems like we can always put a package together that is going to be at the front of the pack um, qualified one, two, three, four at road America. And I think that just goes to show how much hard work the team's put in um, and the drivers. I mean, between the four of us, it's tough to say who's going to be the best on each weekend. And even every session, every session, something's changing. We're learning from each other. We're trying to hybrid the best lap together and figure out, okay, Hunter's quicker here. Christian's quicker here. Matt's quicker here. I'm quicker here. And then just whoever puts it all together going to be quickest. Um, so it's kind of cool to see like having four strong cars in the team uh, where we can kind of drive the setups to and where we're going to show up at when we roll off the truck, you know, there's not a lot of development to be done. It's already been done in testing and practice time. And then we can roll out qualifying and put it one, two, three, four. You know, for, for people that may be new uh, to the sport, and, and I believe that not only Indy Lights, uh, but uh, Indy Car Series as well is gaining uh, eyeballs uh, by the day, I, I think. Mm. I think it's becoming more and more popular. But can you talk about what it's like having, you know, your a team with, with four different cars and all of the data and, and the experience that each one of you is gathering and being able to pass on to, to the next person, you know, compared to that race team that only has uh, one car that has to depend on all of the, that, that car data, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I think it just, it creates so much accountability within the team, right? Like we can have two cars go on this direction of a concept of a change and then two other drivers go in this direction. Um, and there's obviously an engineer per car. And so we're all working on our own packages, but we're trying different things left, right, and center to try and figure out, okay, which direction do we need to go? And say there's a driver, like one of the four of us is just not having a great day. We know it because we can compare the data and see, oh, look at the video here and look at the video here. We can throw that session away and start from scratch because we know that the other three cars are quick. And then it just allows that fourth driver, whoever it may be, to step their game up. And it just kind of calls them out and makes them accountable. It's because there's no no uh i shouldn't say there's no competition the competition is very high within the team and that allows us to all not worry about the pressure of getting beat by the teammate because we all know that we can achieve that success together um and so it's just like i said before on any given session it could be you know hunters at the front i'm at the front at the front christians at the front and then that list can rearrange quite quickly and so it's kind of interesting this dynamic you know, getting into the trailer and downloading data and saying, hey, when you tried this, what did you feel? And when you did this, what did you feel? And then I can apply things that they learned or concepts that they learned with myself and my engineer and figure out, okay, we need to go that opposite direction, actually. And we know that what they did worked to go in the, the one direction that we don't want to go. So we're going to do the opposite of that. And so it's just like we're, we're bouncing ideas left, right, and center to try and, you know, uh, find which the car we need. And it's good because you know what's right and you know what's not right. And that gives you a better direction than versus a one car, right? Like you can only test one thing at a time. So even if something's wrong, you might have three other changes that are doing the same thing that are also wrong. But because you don't have other guys that are going the opposite direction to saying, okay, that's, that's a yes. You can't, you can't go in a, a certain direction. You can't pick away because you're, you're always searching for more. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like it's it's uh, helped you and, and your other three uh, teammates being able to, like you said, bounce ideas off, bounce setups off, uh, go back, look at data, um, 
you know, post uh, post qualifying, post practice, uh, etc. And, and and you see all that all that hard work uh, that you and everyone else is putting in is definitely mm-hmm. definitely uh, paying off. Um, I, I do have to ask um, as much confidence as you have right now and, and, you know, podium after podium after podium. How tough is it that, you know, you continue and, and constantly finish uh, podiums top five? But yet you have someone on the track like uh, uh, Lunas Lundquist that is just dominating. How how tough is that? Uh, I mean, I've always said short memory. You know, I think that you're only as good as your last race. And it seems like we're kind of catching some wind in our sails right now. So I know that Linus has got a few race wins under his belt. And that's that kind of puts the pressure on the rest of us. But at the moment, it's we're just going to keep doing our thing. We know that we're working hard and we know that we're getting better. Um, so if they stall out and we're continuing to get better, I know that we're going to end the season on top. Um, and that's just kind of the way it goes in racing, right? Like motorsports is a very, very dynamic sport. And at the end of the day, it's the guy who adapts the best that is going to end up winning. Um, so far that has been Linus that has got most, uh, most points on the board, but I know that we're not too far behind in second. I think it's very achievable. Um, second half of the year is usually my best half. It seems like in the past, they come out of the gates a little slow and they come on with the burners at the end and, you know, finishing out the year with the two West Coast races, those are my my home events, you know, running at Portland. We usually have a big crowd there running at Laguna Seca. Um, those were two of the first places I qualified on pole in Indy Pro 2000, and, and they just are super fun tracks. So at the moment, um, I'm just going to keep working on my weaknesses because I know that I can always improve, and I'm going to keep leaning on my teammates and my crew, just like we have in the rest of the year. Um, we're checking the boxes off as we go, and I think that at the end of the day, that's going to be what, what makes a difference because we're talking tenths of a second. That's all we need in order to get that, that first win, you know, a 10th here and a 10th there. And you're, you're in a ballpark to go dominate. So that's what makes it so much fun though. I'm enjoying life like, like a lot right now. Good. That, that, you know what, that's, uh, that's, that's good to hear because, uh, as as times as as people struggle, but if you're enjoying what you're doing right now and and the finishes and the confidence uh, that you have, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's all one can ask. um, I believe you kind of led into my next question, you know, being the the second half of the season. So to say, what were some of the, what's a track or two that you're looking forward to? I know, I know going, going out West, uh, as you said to uh, Luna Seca and the other has to be uh, refreshing, you know, being, uh, being so close to home there in Idaho. Yeah. And also, I mean, this weekend at mid Ohio, it's one of my favorite tracks just because the elevation um, it's quite a technical track and it seems like Andretti has got a good car there in the past. And it's just one of those tracks that has like really good rhythm um everything flows together quite well and on a weekend like this when it could be anyone's game it just makes it that much more fun and challenging and i think it races quite well and with the new push to pass um the series being applied i want to see what it's like to hopefully qualify on pole and then just stay out front but you know that's uh easier said than done but other than that i mean i really like the the west coast races um nashville is going to be an exciting race i'm excited to see the event as a whole i have a, a lot of friends and family that are coming to that and then uh, the two ovals, I mean, Iowa's had a track that I haven't raced on before, so I'm excited to see what that's like. Um, it's one of the few oval tracks that I've been on where you can really race two lanes and make that high line work or the low line work, and it seems like it'll be a good venue. Um, we had a test there last week or the week before, and it seems like it's a really fun track. Super high speed, lots of grip, um, and it races. I mean, the, the tire deck actually comes to play at the, at the end of the race there, so... Um, I'm interested to see what tire strategies are like, who's going to save tires for the end, who's going to go out at the beginning. And uh, 
obviously things change on an oval. Things get to be a little bit more sensitive and um, especially at Gateway. I mean, Gateway, we saw some good racing last year between Kyle Kirkwood and David Malukas. And it seems like I think as they can uh, run up front and just try and stay there and survive and then everything kind of falls into place if you're in the lead. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it leads into to another question now. Uh, are you do you prefer ovals or do you prefer more street racing road courses? Um, in the past, I think that I've preferred more of street courses or road courses. Street courses kind of they take me back to my roots of like street karting and going to the Super Nationals in Las Vegas and driving through the streets of California and just things like that. It kind of uh, reminds me of my younger days in karting. But the road courses are kind of what I what I grew up doing as well. Um, and it's part of the reason why I wanted to, to get into IndyCar racing and just because it reminded me of go-karts and I liked the level of downforce in the formula cars, the agility, the speed, the power, all of that um, just seemed like something that was appealing to me. And then the ovals were just like a little cherry on top. I mean, what driver doesn't want to go fast? I mean, this year, especially in a, in a good and ready Indy Lights car around an oval, it seems like, um, I won't say it's effortless, but definitely having a good car makes a bigger difference on an oval. You can't just wheel it and hope it sticks kind of a deal, but, um, it makes you feel like a Superman when you're in the right car. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's the old, the old Ricky Bobby. All I want to do is go fast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, you know, just, uh, just a few more here before, uh, before we let you go. I know you got uh, a busy, uh, a busy schedule ahead of you. Are you itching in, in 2023? to be in a IndyCar ride, or do you feel you still have some more learning to do at the Indy lights level? Uh, no, I'm itching. I'm, I'm itching pretty bad right now. I, I actually have my first IndyCar test coming up in a couple weeks here. Um, second week in July. So that's uh, from my scholarship that I earned in 2020, finally getting to drive that IndyCar with Andretti Autosport. So I'm pretty stoked about that. It'll also be around mid Ohio. Um, it seems like everything's just kind of falling into place where we need it to be. And, I got to trust God with the rest, the things that are out of my control. And I mean, at the end of the day, uh, my focus is on this season. And if I need to worry about it, then I'll, I'll worry about that at the end of, end of this year. You know, and IndyCar has always been the goal. So I'm going to learn as much as I can now. And hopefully it'll be good enough to get me where I need to be next year. And I'm going to continue learning even in IndyCar. Yeah, de definitely love love your approach. You know, you can only control what you can control, and uh, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So I absolutely love what uh, love your attitude there. Uh, last question that I have: um, Give us a little insight uh, preparing for Mid Ohio uh, this weekend. I know uh, it's one of your favorite tracks. Uh, you know, pre previous success, but uh, what's a little bit of a, a preview or a little bit of inside and the analysis or breakdown that the uh, common fan uh, wouldn't uh, wouldn't get to know? Well, we had our track walk this afternoon, um, and that actually showed some interesting things. Uh, last weekend, they had the Trans Am series as well as the Formula Regional and F4 cars out on the racetrack. And um, typically, when we arrive at a racetrack, the track hasn't been run on in quite some time, so it's what we call green. It's a green track. It means that it doesn't have a lot of rubber laid down, lots of fresh grip. Um, it's kind of lost its tackiness uh, that is usually there on, on the end of a race weekend. Uh, but walking the track today, because of those big, heavy Trans Am cars, there's a lot of rubber laid down. And so that might apply into, um, you know, earlier on in practice sessions, we'll be uh, trying to find grip in different areas of the racetrack than we would normally. Um, and also trying to tune the car around that because, uh, depending on the way the weekend usually goes, we end up fighting a, a balance change, whether that's understeer or oversteer, because the, the tires will grip up at different parts of the weekend. 
And like, for example, on street courses, it tends to be that like later on in the weekend, the more grip there is because no one's run on that street course since the previous season. And so like as the weekend goes on, you're you're chasing that balance constantly, constantly, constantly. You're you're changing spring rates, you're changing aero, aero balance, you're changing uh, cambers and all that stuff to try and find that balance that would be there had it, you know, you're, you're trying to always take a step ahead. And so I think it's just going to be that much more even this weekend because we got a lot of cars going out on track um, the next couple of days. And it seems like there there might be a lot more rubber laid down uh, than we've had in the past. So that means higher grip levels, so maybe more speed, maybe less speed. We don't know. And it's going to be hot temperatures, maybe a little rain. So there's a lot of different variables that are going into this weekend. But it's, it's very interesting to see on the new track walk just where the rubber line is um, in comparison to the previous seasons. Uh, folks, you're not going to get a better breakdown uh, of mid-Ohio than uh, right there with, with, with Stingray Rob. Uh, again, huge thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your busy uh, night to uh, to join us. Uh, if people uh, aren't following you on social media, again, shame on them if they're not. Uh, where can they do that at? It's pretty easy to find me. There's not too many Stingrays out there in the world. But uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Stingray Rob. I think Twitter is at Sting underscore Ray underscore Rob. Um, also on YouTube, and you can look at my website, stingrayrob.com. Awesome. Uh, again, uh, Stingray, uh, huge thank you. Uh, best of luck uh, this weekend. And uh, I'll be in uh, the Indy race uh, at, at the end of July and then in Nashville, so maybe we can uh, uh, hook up. But, uh, yeah. again, huge thank you for, for joining us. Uh, good luck this weekend, and good luck the rest of the year. Awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Hopefully we'll see you at the racetrack soon. Yeah, thank you. And that was Stingray Rob. Go uh, go check him out on social media, and, and we wish him here all of the best of luck this weekend. Uh, hopefully, he'll be able to, as as we talked about there, uh, knock down that uh, that proverbial door uh, to uh, to finish at uh, P1. Uh, a lot of podiums for him and his uh, teammates as of late. But uh, definitely, definitely looking forward to uh, seeing him in in P1 in the not so distant future. Uh, I do see that our next uh, next guest here is uh, is joining us. I said we did have a, a loaded show uh, tonight, so I had to keep track of uh, time. But definitely glad to have uh, Mike back. I know it's been uh, been a few weeks. Uh, what a uh, hiatus uh, that uh, that we've been on. But uh, glad to be back. Glad to be back at uh, Mid Ohio this weekend. I know you're out enjoying uh, a few days off before it's back to the uh, back to the grind. But uh, how are things in in Mike's world? Great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I feel like it's been forever since we uh, got to talk some indie car betting, some indie, indie, uh, indie racing. So I'm excited to uh, get back in the horn after a uh, very successful Road America. Yeah, absolutely. And, and speaking of successful uh, Road America, I know uh, you, uh, you know, with your bets, I know you put some money on Joseph Newgarden, as did I. So uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, but what were some of your uh, uh, winning bets there at, uh, at Road America? Yeah, man, Road America worked out just as planned, uh, you know, just just like you want to do. You had pre-qualifying, I had pre-qualifying bets on two drivers, Rossi and Newgardner, uh, and uh, you got I got Rossi at 20 to 1 before qualifications, and he nailed the pole. That is exactly what you want to do when you're betting on racing, and specifically IndyCar. Uh, so that opened up a, a ton of doors to bet. Uh, for me, my strategy going into that race was to bet a bunch of top threes or on the drivers that qualified around them, and the hope was to catch the Rossi ticket. Uh, Rossi didn't come through, uh, but like I said, we had New Gardner 
uh, at six to one before the race. I think you got him uh, after qualifications a little bit less, but still a good number. Um, and uh, for me, it was great. You know, I would have would have loved Rossi. I think we needed, gosh, one more lap. If I, I'm trying to remember the race now, but uh, I think he would have had him. And uh, I was sitting there screaming at the television like, oh, one more lap at 20 to one hit would have been huge. But I was very happy to hit uh, the six to one. Uh, and like I've talked about, I had also Rossi in the top three bet. Uh, as well at a pretty darn good number and uh and had erickson i believe was the third one there uh so it was a very profitable weekend everything went as planned uh when you get the guy that hits the pole and you had him at and you have him at double digits that's that opens up uh, a lot of avenues to make some money yeah i i obviously felt uh, felt pretty good having both five dollars on rossi and five dollars on new garden so I, I was kind of in a you know a win-win situation depending on how the last lap uh, it turned out, but I, I know we've talked about this before, but explain to people that, that may not bet on IndyCar, how exciting it is, as you were talking about their, you know, screaming at, at the TV with, with the uh, laps dwindling, but how exciting is it when you actually have a little bit of skin in the game uh, following this? Oh, man, for me, it's exponentially exciting. I think, I think it just adds a whole layer. Uh, you got a little money, a little skin in the game, you know, you're doing it with friends. Uh, you know, it makes it so much better for, for, for me personally. Um, um, and I think it's, I think when you see people, uh, you know, people do this all the time in all types of sports and all, you know, horse racing and football and fantasy and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, I think it just adds a whole nother element. Um, and especially if you're doing the research and you're diving in, you're making bets and you're doing stuff like with your friends and pools and all the stuff that uh, has been around forever. I think it adds a whole nother element to the race, whole nother level of excitement, you learn more about the drivers too. You learn about the series if you're betting on it because uh, you're paying attention. Um, and I think it's, uh, I think it just is something that, look, I think it's something like what I've talked before. I think it's something that IndyCar is way behind on uh, in terms of the other major sports in the industry. I think golf's had a huge boom because of gambling and, and fantasy um, in, a, in younger markets. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, IndyCar, you know, small little baby steps. We got baby steps. We're, we'll probably talk about Caesars here in a little bit. They probably had the best betting memory ever seen, uh, but for maybe Indy 500s out for this race. Um, and, uh, you know, they got the Caesar Sportsbook at IMS. And hopefully IndyCar is going to continue to embrace some gambling and some wagering because, uh, you know, it's it's legal in the United States. It's coming to all the states. And, uh, I mean, uh, I know I think you're in Indiana and most of, you know, Indy, uh, Indiana's got a huge following of IndyCar fans and, and uh, I believe they're one of the top five states in the country as far as uh, gambling revenue um, coming in. So there's a huge market for it. Hopefully IndyCar can take advantage of it. Yeah, I remember uh, in, in episode one, we talked about how exciting it was, the announcement uh, between Caesars uh, Sportsbook and, and IMS. And uh, yeah, I, I hope that uh, this, you know, this this catches on. And, and you know, you were listening to uh, part of our, our previous interview there with, with, Sting, with Stingray Rob. And I think there are more eyes on IndyCar, uh, Indy Lights than I think they've had in both both series have had in, in quite a long time. And I think a little bit has to do, obviously, with the relationship, as you just mentioned, uh, between uh, Caesar Sportsbook and, and IMS that was just created, I think, this past May. Yeah, I love Stingray. I want to bet. Uh, I remember Stingray because I uh, want to bet with some buddies at a St. Pete Grand Prix I was at. Uh, and I took Stingray and he took home. Uh, I, I don't remember if we were betting head to head or what, but I do remember you can't, can't forget a name like Stingray and winning some money on it and cheering them on. And look, that's how you learn who these guys are. Uh, honestly. Um, you know, I, uh, that's how I know half the grid and half the stories behind, uh, the IndyCar 
is because of, of gambling. I'm looking into what they're doing, who's moving to what team, who's who's fast, and that's how you learn the names and the teams. And I think it, it just inherently grows the sport uh, when you start having people put you know gambling on it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, with this uh, this period uh, that we've had the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, we, we're starting to see I think 2023 come into shape as to who's going to be uh, who's going to be where, and I think it's going to be exciting to uh, to follow the rest of the year. But uh, we are on to uh, to Mid Ohio. Uh, finally, it seems like it's been forever uh, since we were last at at Road America. Uh, first, let's uh, let's preview uh, Mid Ohio a little bit and. I don't know. Have you did? You, have you seen the lines come out yet? I haven't seen them on on Twitter today. So maybe you did see them. Yeah, I tweeted them out late last night. Uh, they came out. Uh, Caesars was the first one I saw, followed by DraftKings Sportsbook, uh, and then I saw them trickle out in th- into most of the other sportsbooks. So Joseph Newgarden is your favorite. Uh, he's sitting at four to one. Some books have him at three and a half to one. I always tell people, you know, if you have the ability to shop around, shop around. But uh, Newgardeners are the favorite. Uh, I'm looking at Caesars right now. Rossi sitting, uh, Rossi and Award and Apollo are all at five to one. Uh, Herta at six to one. Dixon ten to one. Erickson twelve to one. And Power twelve to one. That rounds out pretty much about your top ten there uh, in the odds. And then there's a ton of long shots uh, after that. And uh, so that's that's what you're looking at currently out there in the market. There's a couple of sports books that have top threes available, some offshore books, but um, but like I said, you know, we shop around, find the best numbers. Uh, Caesar's at four to one. I think New Gardner. It's about the highest price I see, but he's your favorite going in the going in pre quals. Obviously, uh, these numbers will change after qualifying. They may even change after practice, uh, depending on what we see in practice. Um, but they'll definitely change coming into Sunday morning. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, obviously a uh, a safe bet that uh, New Garden is going to be a, a favorite uh, a lot in the remainder of, of the second half. Um, talking with, with with Mark Jaynes as well. Um, the rest of the schedule, it, it it sets up for Joseph Newgarden so nicely. That's why it doesn't surprise me him being the uh, the favorite on on Sunday. Yeah, no, he, he was the guy I had my eyes on. Um, I'm a little disappointed, Rossi. You know, I was ready to go right back to the Rossi train. Um, you know, last couple of weeks we've gotten him at twenty and forty to one. Uh, the sports books, you know, they're no dummies. They got them all the way down to five to one, six to one. I've seen them at places. The highest I've seen is seven to one for Rossi, but even so, um, that's pretty low. You know, the guy hasn't even won a race yet. Uh, granted he was looking pretty good. He has some great history at this track. So, you know, I'm a little, uh, I'm iffy on Rossi, uh, guys that I do like that I've already uh, made bets on. Um, I put a bet in a willpower at 14 to one. He opened at 14 to one. So I grabbed that late last night. The second I saw it. Uh, you know, power has been uh, Jekyll and Hyde. He either qualifies uh, up at the front and uh, he's dominant and he's finishing, you know, he's got a shot at the win or he's been at the back of the pack and, and struggling. But, um, you know, he's got some great history at this track. Uh, I expect him to do well if he can if he can nail that pull. Uh, this is a race that is uh, history says you need to be in front. Um, you need to be up front in mid-Ohio. Um, and the name of the game right now in terms of betting is you got to be able to pick the guy. Uh, one of the guys is going to qualify one, two, or three. Um, even the fast six in this one's pushing it. But you know, I'm looking for the guy. I want to hit the guy now that's going to hit the pole. Uh, if there's anybody that's got uh, a history of poles, it's Mr. Will Power. So I, I grabbed him at 14 to one. I think Erickson is super interesting as well at 12 to one. Um, I actually put a bet in him to get a top three, um, which was you know if uh, which was sitting at at three to one. Which I think is a great number for him. I think he's going to qualify well. 
and get up there. And then, uh, and then I'm still kind of staring. I think, you know, Herta has been the favorite on these road courses most of the year. Six to one is not so bad. Seven to one for Herta. Uh, and I'm still staring at Rossi and Pelo as well. Uh, you know, I love New Gardner, but four to one before qualifying uh, is just too short for me. It's not something I'm going to uh, take a chance with these guys qualifying. You know, like uh, you heard Stinger say, that tenths of a second uh, can be the difference between first and and uh, and twelfth. And if you're if you're sitting in you know fifth back on Mid Ohio, more than likely you're not going to win this race. So um, I'm going to not spend too much of my money um, before qualifying. And but I, I will put a little bit down, like I said, on power and maybe some top threes here and there. We we kind of th- are thinking along the same lines. You know, I come from this from a, a fantasy uh, aspect. You know, you're you're the the betting. Um, my locks and, and I have five, and you named all of them. Surprisingly, uh, Joseph Newgarden, Alex Pillow, Will Power, uh, Alexander Rossi, and, and Colton Herta. And, and there's one person I left off that list that I want to fade if I'm in fantasy, and I think this is going to uh, blow a lot of people's minds, depending on or due to the success that this individual has had over the years at Mid Ohio. Exactly, I am fading Scott Dixon. Oh man, so that's funny. I, 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 it's a good guess, I guess. Um, you know, Dixon is one of, uh, one of my, you know, my friend over at Burnout Bets, uh, Tony Donahue. He sent me a text saying, "Man, I want to get, I want to grab Dixon or Rosenquist for the win." Uh, I can get behind Rosenquist, especially at twenty-five to one. In fact, that's probably, you know, I'll throw a couple bucks down on him before quals if he can put up some ducks. But I told him, man, if we don't get Dixon at a bigger number, um, he's just struggling this year and. Uh, you know, he was great in the 500, but that's not road courses. And his car, for whatever reason, he's just getting outclassed or slowing down. Uh, and I'd rather be ahead of that behind that. So I think I'm with you, man. Um, if I see some pace from Dixon in practice, maybe I'll think twice. You know, Dixon used to be, uh, before any of this even got any popular, I, I, I've made a lot of money uh, betting top threes on Scott Dixon over the years. Uh, I used to call up the ATM machine. Just I'd put... Uh, I didn't care what the line was. If, it, if it's anything with a plus in front of it, I bet Dixon top three. Um, and uh, I have a spreadsheet, and it it's very much in the green when it comes to Scott Dixon and top threes over the last five years. But that's changed. Uh, Palo has taken that reins a little bit, and uh, you got to be ahead of the market uh, if you're going to make make money. And I think I'm with you. I think uh, I, I'm maybe not all the way on the fade train like you, but I am. I'm cautiously leaning over the edge. Yeah, if Dixon can't win uh, this weekend, um, I don't know where it's going to come from. I, I really don't. And and I find it interesting. You, you talked about you know Tony Donahue talking about uh, Felix, Felix Rosenquist. I, I'm fading him this week too. So uh, not to not to rain on not to rain on his parade, but yeah, those are the two that I'm fading the most. Uh, one sleeper. Well, I have I have a few sleepers, but one that uh, could uh, could definitely get off the schneid. Um, they have been better as of late. Being a home track for this individual is uh, is Graham Rahal. Yeah, uh, Graham. Somebody you know, I've bet him to win this race years in the in years past because uh, he had some good history here. I'm I'm, I'm pretty hung up on the the Rahal struggles. You know, until I see some sort of pace out of them, that's a bet. You know, if Hall does qualify, uh, he makes a fast six. He qualifies in the top three or four. I do think he has, you know, he has the the racing capability to get to the front. Uh, but I'll make that bet after qualifications. Uh, you know, he is sitting there at thirty to one right now. He opened at fifty to one, so somebody bet him, or the books wouldn't have moved that money down. But that's probably uh, some local Ohio money, I would imagine. 
uh, you know, or maybe Graham's throwing some bucks on himself. Who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, you know, maybe at 50 to one, he's worth a couple bucks before qualifying if you really believe in Graham. But man, uh, you know, Jack Harvey was a guy I used to love to bet pre-quals uh, when he was with Meyer Shank because he'd always put it up in the top six and have a chance to win. And I'd have him at 100 to 181. Um, you know, always great numbers. I had a ton of value. You know, in gambling, you're looking to bet numbers sometimes and not drivers. Um, you know, and those numbers are always great, but they never, they never cash a ticket for me, uh, with Harvey, he's still winless and, and he just hasn't been able to qualify the same. I don't know what Ray Hall's got going on at RLL with the, with the qualifying results, but they've been pretty dismal and they've been kind of passed up by, by the top three squad uh, teams. So, uh, probably passed for me, um, with, with Ray Hall, but, uh, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, uh, hopefully they can, you know, figure out uh, what what ails them. I know uh, Graham's been pretty um, vocal, I think, to uh, to say the least when it comes to uh, what their issues may be over there at uh, uh, Ray Hall, uh, Letterman Lanigan. But uh, Mike, again, uh, huge thank you uh, for joining us as always. Uh, good luck to you this week. Uh, for people that aren't following you, and again, it, it's a shame because apparently they don't want to win any money. Uh, but where can they follow you at on social media? Well, we try to win more. Try to win more than I lose. I post everything on Twitter. None of it's you know. I don't charge any money for any of it. So you can decide if you want to follow it or fade it. But it has been uh, looking. You know, last week was great, or I guess it was three weeks ago. Now it was great. Uh, Indy five hundred was great. So hopefully the train keeps moving and we keep making money uh, uh, throughout the season. But I'm at uh, at Indy underscore bet. Um, I think uh, Burnout Sports is another good follow uh, at Burnout Bets. We're probably going to do some Twitter spaces. Uh, you mentioned Tony earlier. We'll probably we're gonna we're gonna dabble around with some Twitter space stuff. So if you guys are watching Twitter, uh, we'll do some live Twitter spaces leading up to the race on Sunday, maybe Friday night. Uh, try to get some interaction with folks just talking strictly gambling. You know, there's a lot of interesting bets and groups out there. We had a big a uh, big thread going on today. Uh, about this group E bet at Caesar Sports. It's got Jimmy Johnson listed as the favorite against uh, Calderon, Kellett, and uh, Simona. And I uh, honestly think there's some value in fading Jimmy and grabbing maybe uh, Dalton and Simona versus him. But we'll, uh, we, you know, we'll talk more about that, and we'll get into all these groups, all these different kind of bets, and, and do some of that on Twitter spaces. So keep an eye out at, at Andy underscore bet uh, and at burnout bets for that. Uh, good stuff. Definitely uh, look forward uh, to that, and hopefully you get a lot of uh, interaction. And uh, the, as you said, the money train uh, keeps on rolling down the track. Uh, Mike, again, a huge thank you for uh, for joining us. Uh, good luck to everything uh, this weekend. Enjoy your uh, vacation, what's left of it, and uh, we'll talk uh, next week after Mid Ohio. All right, take care, man. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Uh, go check out again if you're not already, uh, uh, Mike at. Uh, Bet uh, bet IndyCar, uh, definitely a, a good follow, especially if you're looking to uh, win some money. And I can contest uh, firsthand, uh, put my first IndyCar bet in uh, right before Road America and was able to flip uh, $5 to uh, $25. So uh, good stuff, good stuff there. Uh, let's get and uh, we'll finish up the uh, interview with uh, with uh, Mike James, Mike James, and uh, then we will uh, we'll end things for the night. So let's get back into the interview. We didn't have a problem with Jimmy Johnson getting that award and and understood why he did. But uh, I think David Malukas and Kyle Kirkwood especially are two guys that are going to be around a while. Um, I, I think. Callum Eilat has surprised a lot of people and, and, and really, I think, been a pleasant surprise for, 
for Hunko's Hollinger Racing. I think Ricardo is going to do everything in his power to keep him. Don't know if he's going to be able to. The only thing that might benefit him is the fact that, quite frankly, I don't know how many open seats there are going to be this offseason because a lot of teams have already firmed up their plans and they continue to make, make announcements, I think. That earlier today, uh, that Penske announced that it's you know they're 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 set with three next year. They're they're happy with that, and and Chip said he's good, and and I think Andretti's good, and so on and so forth. So, uh, you know they'll they'll get a chance to build a relationship. And I mentioned you know David Malukas and Takuma Sato. Takuma has spoke glowingly of David Malukas and the fact that he just soaks up everything that that Taku shares with him. And I, I think he's been competitive week in and week out. And um, I know that uh, Larry Floyd is just over the moon happy with Kyle Kirkwood. Um, they're thankful uh, for the relationship that they had with Andretti Allsport that allowed Kyle to run for them this year. They understand that that's always where Kyle was going to end up. Um, and I think as the season has progressed, I, and people don't, I think, give enough credit to Devlin DeFrancesco for some of the improvements that he has made. I, I think, you know, he raised the ire of a few folks in the first handful of races of the season. But indeed, indeed it is, a, again, a learning curve. But I think over the last couple of races or so, uh, people have started to develop uh, some measure of respect for Devlin. And um, I, I, I know that we, we had dinner with him and his team last year. Uh, when he was still in Indy Lights, and um, you know there are there's a lot of, of, of Formula One engineering and experience, and a lot of media uh, experience from the Champ Car and Kart days involved with his program, and uh, I think they're doing everything he can to make sure that he has a successful run with Andretti Autosport and Tatiana Calderon. I mean, very difficult situation for a talented young race car driver to. To, to, to just be, you know, in that part-time effort the way she is because, you know, you've got to build that rapport with your race team. You, you've got to have the reps, if you will. But um, I, I, I think that um, if, if you look at, at what she's been able to do and, and how she's been able to grow and improve and her times get better and her confidence grows, uh, uh, the hope is, is that she'll be able to stick around and be a part of this series for the foreseeable future. So, you know, an incredible crop of rookies for sure. And it's uh, really hard to kind of put your finger on one or two and, and, and put the slot one in above the rest. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I got a chance to speak with uh, with uh, um, Colin Mylot at the, uh, the month of May. And I was just so impressed with what he's doing, what his team is doing, and, and more specifically, because you look at all the other teams out there and they have multiple cars. He right. is only running one car that's one set of data and everything that he is gaining experience. You know, he doesn't have anybody else to lean on except you know what he does out there on the track by himself so that's what impresses me so much about about column i lot but uh i want to finish up here i know i don't want to hold you too long uh you want to give us a little bit uh insight uh from your perspective uh mid ohio this weekend uh, lexington ohio i know uh, scott dixon has been like you said uh, um dominant I think is, is the word that comes to mind, but uh, uh, give us a little bit of perspective from, from your point of view. Oh, well, I mean, it's a, uh, it's a bad, fast racetrack. It really is. I mean, there are a lot of technical portions to it, but uh, 
a lot of speed to it and uh, certainly some challenging elevation changes. And, and I really think you'll hear a lot of the drivers say that uh, coming down out of the heat, the keyhole uh, through the bender that's turn three and setting up for the, um, for turn number four. And then there's the S's, if you will, before you scoot under the Honda bridge. Uh, but with five and six, the way you, you go uphill and then back downhill. I think most of the drivers will tell you um, that's where uh, you're either going to have a good lap or you're going to throw away a lap. And by that, I mean um, because of the fact that uh, it could sometimes be a little difficult to pass there. That is one of the primary passing zones, by the way. I think there's a lot of emphasis uh, placed on qualifying. Uh, you, you don't want to start in the rear of the field and force yourself into an alternate pit strategy. Um, but, but, but I knew though that, uh, and they've been there a while now, they have plenty of data. Uh, those who have been fast there in the past typically will be fast again this weekend, as we mentioned, uh, uh, Scott Dixon. But, uh, I think from a fan's perspective, it's one of my favorite um, it, it's not the most up-to-date place. It's not the most modern and pristine place, but it is uh, something that the fans absolutely love. I mean, the campground is always overflowing with folks, and there's so many good sight lines down through Thunder Valley and all throughout the course, and there's so many amenities there in terms, terms of the food stand and the fan village and the infield. And uh, uh, there's no question, folks, it is literally in the middle of nowhere in Lexington, Ohio, but... Uh, Considering it's only about a five-hour drive, uh, if you've not gotten your tickets, you should go online and uh, reward yourself and your family. Uh, load up the cooler and the lawn chairs and and, and go enjoy the NTT IndyCar Series as the uh, championship chase resumes after a, a couple of weeks off. And um, I know you can follow us all weekend long like you do, Derek, on Sirius and XM. Uh, there are a number of other outlets, uh, Spotify and others, where you can get it. Also, terrestrial radio stations all across the country. I'll be in the booth with Davey Hamilton. We'll have Nick Yeoman and, and Jake Query and uh, and Michael Young calling the action for the turns. And we're happy to have Joel Sebastianelli and, uh, and Alex Wolf with us in the pits this weekend. So we look forward to the call for sure. And I'm going to whet my appetite by going to Thursday Night Thunder at Lucas Oil Raceway Park Thursday night. So. Awesome. And I, and I think just to remind everyone, uh, coverage, your guys start uh, 3.30 on Friday and then the race, uh, you guys pick up coverage, I think, what, uh, noon on Sunday, I do believe. Yep, that's right. And we are on for all of the IndyCar and Indy Lights uh, practice and qualifying and races all throughout the course of every weekend. So. Awesome. Uh, last thing, Mark, if people aren't doing it already, and again, shame on them, uh, where can they find you at on, on social media? At James Marr, J-A-Y-N-E-S-M-A-R. And honestly, that's about it. I, I, I'm starting to get more into Instagram. I, I don't do Facebook much. I just kind of stay with Twitter and maybe I need to broaden my horizons a little bit, but um, yeah, certainly if people want to follow me, I, 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 I'll, I'll warn them, though, it's it's not only about motorsports. I do tweet about my grandkids. Uh, there's a, there's an iconic uh, old-school diner outside of Plainfield. I had lunch there today, and I took a picture of that. So that's the kind of stuff that, uh, that, that you'll see from me. And best of all, Derek, 
no politics. You don't get any politics from me. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, you know what? I, I, I've learned that uh, on Twitter. I've learned that uh, you got to keep those separate. I, I've definitely learned that. But it, it, it's uh, okay Mar- if you don't. I just choose not to. You know. Hey, you, you know what? You know what? I just choose not to. So you know what? It, it sometimes sometimes the the conversation's not needed. It just depends what the setting is. I absolutely agree. Hey, I want to. Uh, I want to wish you good luck with this deal. I really do. And. Uh, we're going to remind people over the course of the weekend where they can find this on a regular basis. That I know it's a relatively new venture for you, and and we're happy to do what we all we can to, to help you promote it and, and help this thing grow for you. Yeah, that when when you emailed me and told me that that's I I I don't know what else I could I can do, but uh, thank you for for not only taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, to join me here, but uh, what what you're going to do over the weekend. I I, I don't know how I can. I don't know how I can repay you. I, I have no idea, but uh, you know what? I will meet in July in Indy and Indy and I'll come up with something. But uh, Mark, again, huge thank you for uh, taking time out of your schedule uh, to join us. Uh, look forward to uh, meeting you in, in July and uh, have a uh, have a safe trip tomorrow and safe trip to uh, Lexington over the weekend. Well, come to see us in the booth in July. Look forward to, to seeing you face to face, Derek. Take care. Yeah, you too. Huge thank you again, uh, Mark Janes. Go check him out on social media and and listen to him uh, this weekend because you would never believe how smooth uh, it sounds in controlled chaos as he uh, as he alluded to earlier. Oops, sorry about that. Uh, I forgot to unmute my mic. Wow, what a uh, what a amateur amateur mistake there. But uh, huge thank you, uh, first and foremost, to uh, Mark James for joining us. Uh, definitely loved the interview. Loved his insight. Uh, go check him out on social media. Also, a huge thank you to both uh, Stingray Rob for joining us, and then as always, uh, Mike from uh, Bet IndyCar. Uh, go follow both of them. And hopefully, uh, if you do put a little money on uh, this weekend's race, uh, you'll be able to uh, flip that to another uh, another amount. Uh, also, I hope everyone enjoyed uh, episode number five. Uh, hopefully, you got a little bit of uh, insight or a little bit of uh, more knowledge of uh, IndyCar uh, and, uh, and and then IndyCar lights uh, or Indy lights uh, as well. Uh, we'll be back next week for episode six. Uh, obviously, we'll be recapping uh, Mid-Ohio and uh, anything else that uh, comes about between now and then. Again, huge thank you to everyone that uh, tuned in, uh, everyone that will tune in. And until next week, uh, we will see you at the race. <laughs>